Welcome to Mysteries to Die For. I am T.G. Wolfe, and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and producer. This is a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of murder, mystery, and mayhem. Some episodes will be my own. Others will be classics that help shape the mystery genre we know today. These are arrangements, which means instead of word-for-word readings, you get a performance that's meant to be heard. Jack and I perform these live, front to back, no breaks, no fakes, no retakes, and if you listened last week, you heard even if it's really bad, we still go on. This is Season 1. This season comes from my book, Widow's Run, which was published in 2019 by Down and Out Books. If you love clever, sharp-edged mysteries and thrillers, check out Down and Out on the web. Today's episode builds from the previous. You have to listen in order for the story to make sense. Start with the episode called, What a Lovely Corpse You Have, and catch up to us from there. We'll be here for you. We've listed a cast of characters in the show notes to help keep track of the players. To recap, our hero, Diamond, has faked her death, burying the mainstream suburban professional she was, to resurrect her CIA cover. Why? She needs to do what the police won't, investigate the death of her husband. In the last episode, Diamond traveled all the way to Oklahoma to confront her number one suspect, Buford Winston. A friendly chat on the shooting range turned nearly deadly when Buford referred to her husband, Gavriel, as Gabe. Turned out the cowboy and her husband were good friends, and Diamond needs a new suspect. Today's story is about friendships, new and old. This is episode 12. That's what I call awesome. By 5 a.m., my flight out of Tulsa landed in D.C. somewhere around 11. Well, I assumed it did. I wasn't on it. I woke up with the sun solidly above the horizon and some jackass deciding now was the perfect time to hee-haw at the top of his lungs. I stumbled out of my borrowed bed wearing the clothes I'd worn the night before, parts of which were fused into skin and bone. Extraction was an outpatient procedure performed without anesthetic. Miss Fielding? Jessica? This is Lois Winston. Are you all right in there? My hand pressed to the gorge in my hip. Yes, ma'am. Just waking up. Yeah, I was that lame. All right, then. There's plenty of towels and hot water. I'll have breakfast waiting for you when you're ready. I brushed my teeth to scrub off the fur coating my tongue. The shower rinsed away the dried bourbon sweats and had me smelling like a girl again. I dressed in Jessica's carefully coordinated separates and only hesitated when I lifted the wig. Jessica was flying today, and she was a blonde. My flight was landing as I sat to tackle a chick's worth of eggs plus bacon and potatoes. Lois was a goddess. Buford contributed Bloody Marys. Hair of the dog that bit you? I took the offered glass. With a salute, I drank. Good dog. With a lot of fast talking and a burn to the credit card, I got on the last flight back to D.C. Gave us time to look at Dr. Liu's proposed proposal for the Phase 2 grant, Revision 5. 
So I had proofread many grants and papers for Gabrielle. This one was well written, even if, in my opinion, the promised outcomes were very pie in the sky. Grants were competitive. You know, you had to sell yourself and your ideas to the grantor. Even in science, it pays to be sexy. Buford dropped the paper he was reading on the table. It's been a year since Gabe died. I don't know. Maybe I'm just old and crotchety, but that young woman puts me off. Gabe had confidence in her. Shouldn't that mean something? It should, I said. But the fact that it doesn't means something, too. You live by your gut. He chuckled, rubbing his protruding belly. Always have, and it's never been wrong. He was quiet for a long moment, staring at the proposal. I'll approve it, I suppose. The theory is solid, and it builds on Gabe's work. I transfer the grant now, and we start over. This is too important. He covered my hand with his, squeezed it. We better get you going. I sat in my seat, jostled by the taxiing plane, feeling hollow. I thought of my own relationships with my co-workers and what Gabriel knew of them. Some days I spent more waking hours with co-workers than I did my husband. It was natural to know the details of each other's lives. I was close to the people I worked with at the agency and, and then the kids that I helped oversee. Hell, one was swatting across the fire escape from me. I could forgive myself for misreading Buford. His blow-up with the Italian cop? Grief. Loud, boisterous, booming grief. The argument with Gabriel at the conference? Communication of the emails. Two good men, two sharp minds on completely different pages, like some high science version of an Albert and Costello routine. Who's on first? That's the World Health Organization. What's on second? as in kilowatts hour of power. I don't H2O's on third. No life, no water. At least not on this planet. Buford's emails bothered me a lot. Dick's got into the details enough to confirm that they were not sent from Gabriel's university account, but a masked phantom account. So who sent them? Everything leaves a digital thumbprint, no matter how faint. It was the little bits of information buried deep within the file structure that could help someone with the right skills and tools find that needle in the haystack. Dix had the skills, and I had the patience to let those skills work. I needed Dixon and Ian to generate a lead because I was running into a dead end. Buford Winston didn't hire Hugo Franzetti, and Carlo Giancarlo was still driving, looking for the driver of the yellow car. Next step would be to resurrect the conference list and scrutinize every name for connections to Gabriel. There was little to work with on the attack on Julie Liu. I hadn't gotten a plate or a picture. It was on Dixon's to-do list to tap into the traffic cameras and get an ID. I had to presume the events were all connected until I could prove they weren't. I mean, what were the other options here? And that's not a rhetorical question. I am running out of suspects. I'm out of theories, and I'm running out of energy. Wasn't ready to go home yet. From the airport, I drove without a destination, hoping inspiration would find me. The area became familiar. I parked on the grassy respite in the middle of a metropolis. Hey, baby. I squatted down and plucked the tender weeds growing over my husband's resting place. Sorry, it's been so long. Next to him, the earth was mounded over where my body lay. I went to Oklahoma. You should have told me Buford wasn't an ass. 
My butt settled on the cool grass. I leaned against the headstone. I'd come so far, learned so much, but still felt miles away from the end. I didn't know my next move. Gradually, I became aware of the light, or lack thereof. Night had descended. I lifted my head and, ow, my neck rebuked me. My back was none too pleased and my hips refused to get into the game. I rolled to all fours and I crawled up the headstone till I kind of stood uprightish. My phone fell from my pocket. I bent to pick it up thinking I would have to pass this little technique onto the CIA as an interrogation method. I pressed a kiss to the stone. Save me a seat next to you. Remember to put a good word in for me at the gate. I love you. I moved slowly across the uneven ground, shuffling my feet until my hips thawed. My phone stayed quiet throughout my visit. It wasn't respect or even good luck. It was still in airplane mode. I swiped the necessary digital buttons and brought it back to life. Ian and Dixon had called and texted, like 20 times. Ian answered on the first ring, where the hell have you been? My time with my husband was private. I'm on my way back to the building. What's going on? Your boy genius and I just figured out who put the recovery order out on you. It's not good, Diamond. It's Sam Irish. <laughs> well, shit. I was shocked when I really shouldn't have been. His behavior at my funeral was bad news. He didn't buy my charred corpse routine. Did you get a number for him, Ian? An email? Better. The kid got an address. <laughs> like, I believe Sam Irish could be found that easily. It wasn't easy, Diamond. Ian's voice hardened in defense of Dixon. He's using an alias, Patrick O'Malley, and we verified. I called him myself from a clean phone, pretending it was a wrong number. It was him. Where? Baltimore? He read the address my own backyard. What a teeny tiny messed up world we lived in. Well, it would be rude not to. Don't go there, Diamond. Ian said hastily and with the authority he didn't have. Now, Irish and I had a long, sordid, sometimes steamy, sometimes violent history. Ian had been on the fringe a time or two. He had reasons for his opinions of Irish, and he didn't know him the way I did. When did he post the job? I asked. Ian sighed dramatically, a none-too-subtle reiteration of his disapproval and acceptance of the inevitable, the day of your funeral. <laughs> I laughed. I mean, there was nothing else to do. Irish made me worth more alive than dead. And then something clicked in place. Ian, you never told me the details of what happened to you. Could it have been Irish? Oh, he sucked wind. I don't see how, he said. I met Tamara in France years ago. When we were in the same place, we got together. I wasn't expecting her, but well, was happy to pick up where we left off. We were reconnecting when two men entered the living floor. The primary alarm tripped, but it had been glitching and I was distracted. The secondary alarm tripped, but it wasn't early enough. It got ugly, and it got ugly fast. Yeah, I said, we saw the end result. What were they after? They never told me, he said. One asshole came at us with a sap, knocked me stupid. Tamara was out cold 
They worked me over. She woke up and went after them. She was naked and screaming and drew them away. It dawned on me that she knew the score. Still, while she kept them distracted, I limped into the bathroom to my escape route. One of them came after me. I had a backup gun hidden there. Asshole didn't want to kill me. He had a gun, but he used his fists instead. I put him down and then went for the hatch. I heard a gunshot as I closed the door behind me. You and me have history, I said. If I was searching for me, you'd be on the top of my list. Fuck me, he said, his version of agreement. Do you think they staked my building out to see who came for me? Not possible. It took us a while to piece together that you were missing. Yeah, he said, I noticed. You know, maybe next time you should wear one of those life alert bracelets. Then I'll know when you get the shit kicked out of you. I smiled when he told me to do something physically impossible. If they staked it out, they could have gotten the plate for my car, which is registered to a vacant lot under a real dead woman's name. It's possible they followed us to my building. Keep your eyes and ears open and security on. I'm taking it seriously, Ian said. What are you going to do? The type of people attracted to 100,000 aren't dissuaded by a little thing like a death certificate. What do you think I'm going to do, Ian? I'm going to go fulfill the order. Think, Diamond. Irish doesn't fuck around. If he put an order out with big money behind it, he's expecting to get something out of it. What are you trying to get out of all this? A hundred grand. This was going to be fun. And bragging rights, Ian. I'll call you later. I ran to the car, hips be damned, started it, programmed the GPS, and I peeled out of the cemetery. Ian was right. Irish played for keeps. And here I was, a woman with nothing to lose. I didn't have any time to finish the thought before a text came through. Someone had left a message for me. After a few more keystrokes, Julie's voice was floated into my car. This message is for Jessica, um, Miss Fielding. This is Dr. Julie Liu. I am hopeful you will call me back. I feel I am being watched. She left a number. I dialed the number. Hello, Julie, it's Jessica. I'm so sorry to bother you, so sorry. It was nothing. She spoke quickly in her accented English. There was a cat and Monty sometimes feeds him. She prattled on from there. There was no trace of fear in her voice. After her third apology, I interrupted and asked to speak to Monty. How goes it? Good, very good. I'm teaching her to play the video game Annihil Nation. She's got killer instincts. It was cute. Monty had a playmate. One hour and 36 minutes later, I parked on a street around the corner from Irish's cul-de-sac. Neighborhood was high-end with big houses on bigger properties. Still in Jessica Fielding's favorite outfit, I strolled down the sidewalk with the confidence of a woman who belonged on these exclusive streets, even if it was just to visit a friend. I rounded the corner and walked smack dab into a party alit with the bright red lights of the boys and girls in blue. Son of a bitch! What did you do, Irish? I whispered the question to the night as I avoided a group of neighbors on the lawn. The cul-de-sac was crowded with a Baltimore SWAT truck and no less than six cars with spinning lights. More unmarked cars filled the curb line back to the main road. Men and women in full gear were in ready positions at strategic posts. No one joked or chatted. Radios cackled and echoed in the still night. This was the real thing. I just didn't know what kind of thing. 
I sidled up to a young officer at the back of the action, hoping to overhear the radio chatter. As I approached, the stand-down order was given. Tension snapped like a rubber band as a man in his sleep pants was marched out of his house, hands behind his head. Sam Irish had the body of an MMA fighter. Hard angles and flat planes looked damn fine in a suit, a pair of jeans, or his underwear. His auburn hair was long and unruly as it had been at the funeral. His dark eyes were narrow and swept menacingly across the gathered multitude. With his hands behind his head, the muscles of his chest and abs were pulled tight, the lights of the police vehicle painting his body. The air blistered with Irish's curses as he walked over to the cruiser and was placed in the back seat. I'm the fucking victim, you idiots! Then the door was closed. The officer stood at the door for a few minutes, Irish swearing at his back, and then he spoke into his radio and walked away. I approached from the opposite side, opened the door, and slid into the stingy back seat amid a torrent of explicatives. There's no point in playing the victim, Mr. O'Malley. I used to draw and fuse with Oklahoma, just because it was fun. This'll go much faster if you just tell me your side of the story. My side of the story? His head spun on a swivel, black eyes flashing with fury. My side of the story is you fuckers have... Jesus Christ, it's you! Over his shoulder, the officer was returning. I slid back out the door. Don't make this harder than it has to be, Mr. O'Malley. I winked and then closed him in. Oh, Irish was not happy. His fist connected with the reinforced shatterproof glass. His face was twisted and cruel. His mouth promised retribution of biblical proportions. What? What? I, I can't hear you. The glass. I can't understand what you're saying. Do you know sign language? You'll want to step back, ma'am. The officer inserted himself in front of me. This is an active scene. It was cute how he cared for my safety. Obediently, I took several steps backward. He does look a bit rabid, officer. What did he do? Nothing, ma'am. There was relief on his young face. It's over. It's safe to return to your home. Oh, I'm not a resident. Jessica Fielding, reporter. I picked it up on the scanner. I leaned in conspiratorially. Can you help me out a little bit? My editor's been on my case to make me prove I can handle the crime beat. He thinks I'm too young. The cop had a baby face. I played the odds too young would be something he could relate to. He glanced around and then led me into a shadow. Irish pounded on the glass again, shouting inarticulately. A call came in reporting a hostage situation at this address. Well, who owns the home officer? Patrick O'Malley. When attempts to contact Mr. O'Malley were unsuccessful, the Baltimore SWAT team mobilized. Cop was into it, adrenaline fueling his running mouth. Following all the department protocols, we attempted to engage with either the homeowner or the suspect. Eventually, we were able to make contact with Mr. O'Malley, and the call was determined to be a hoax. A hoax? Funny how a prank of this type could come on this particular night. Then why is he in the back of the squad car? A precaution, the officer said, for Mr. O'Malley's safety. It was work not to laugh. He had no idea there was a lion pent up in that cage. My phone chimed. A text from Dixon. Stay away from Baltimore for a while. He ended it with an angel emoji. My sweet, stupid, put gas on a fire angel. It's called swatting, the cop said, continuing. People call 911 and convince the operator hostage has been taken or other violence is ongoing. The SWAT team responds and, well, scares the hell out of the unsuspecting victim before the hoax is revealed. 
It's a crime local, state, and federal agencies take very seriously. Do you know why it's done? I asked. The cop shook his head. It's usually a case of revenge for some social slight. It's fun and easy for gamers and online societies. A girl won't meet you, you swat her family. Some guy destroys your level 57 village, you swat his family. It's rarely about money. Huh. Where do the ads you'll get the guy? That's above my pay grade, ma'am. He pointed his thumb over his shoulder. Do you have any idea how much money is sitting on the street right now? His radio burst to life, speaking in a code that I didn't know. I gotta go. Can I quote you on this, I asked. He glanced over his shoulder again. Better not, and good luck with your editor. He jogged back to his car, preparing to release the lion. Me? I followed a crowd and blended in. Irish's narrow gaze searched for me, but I was just one in a sea of professionally be bleached blondes. I texted my person with exceptional cyber skills. Tell me you did not use your own phone. Instant response. No, I'm not 14. Me. Keep your head down. You don't want to fuck with this guy. Dix. He shouldn't have fucked with you. Oh, my little cyber criminal was being gallant. Me. Ian, no? No answer. No answer. Dix. Does now. Drop dinner. Big mess. Gotta run. People milled about, walking all directions around the tent house cul-de-sac. The street had a hustle of a neighborhood block party, despite the day being minutes away from turning into tomorrow. Irish stood on his front walk, glaring at the crowd, not giving a flying fuck he was a few ounces of cotton away from buck naked. Neighbors noticed. Responses varied by gender and proclivity. Irish was a fine piece of eye candy. I fell in behind a family, walking past me, just making myself invisible. Two houses away from Irish, I used a shadow of a hedge line for cover to the rear yards and quickly crossed into his. The back door was unlocked after I picked it, and I accepted the invitation in. The house was brightly lit, modern and tasteful. I walked through the half bath in the center hall to observe Irish. Through the open front door, I saw him in a Superman pose, powerful against the dark night. I stepped back and began removing the pins holding the wig. His accent grew thicker the more pissed he became. He slammed the door shut. Some dug fuck swatted me. Dead fuck. He's an absolutely dead fuck. Irish switched to Gaelic, but kept shouting in capital letters. He wasn't far. In the living room? The kitchen? Dix didn't know what he got himself into with the stunt. Sure, even if he knew, he wouldn't have believed it. That's what being 17 is about. I was going to have to nip this one in the bud. I want the fucker right here, right fucking now, commenced foot stomping. Irish was going to burst a blood vessel if he didn't relax. I removed another pin and dropped it into the sink. Then another. The sweet little clink was made by metal on porcelain. And then a different sign of clicks sounded. The working end of a pistol pointed toward my still blonde head. Irish followed the gun to stand fully in the doorway. The last pin fell and I removed the wig and then the netting holding my hair. Dark brown, my natural color. Surprise. I always knew you weren't a blonde. He took his finger from the trigger and then scratched his chin with the barrel. I knew it. I fucking knew it. A candle my ass. You didn't have to be so dramatic at my funeral. His eyes flashed with approval. I knew you were there. I felt you. I glared at him. But you didn't figure I had a reason for killing myself? 
He shrugged. Only one thing mattered. You didn't say goodbye. He reached out, non-gun hand, fisted my hair and pulled me to him. The kiss reflected the man, hard and dominant. Irish and me, we had passion between us from the first crazy assignment, but never love. I reciprocated the kiss because if he'd pulled a Lazarus on me, yeah, I'd be fucking thrilled to see him again. Then he bit my lip. Hey! I shoved him hard, the taste of iron on my tongue. What the hell? Don't you ever die on me again? Ever! He shoved me back, then soothed my lip with his thumb. What are you doing here? Cocky smile grew across my face. I wasn't afraid of Irish. Never had been. You don't have to be afraid of a dog to know it's not a good idea to kick one. Heard you were looking for me. Sid, he said. Make yourself comfortable. I want to know everything. He waved a gracious hand toward the couch, a gesture I once welcomed. But I wasn't up to a trip down memory lane. Better to keep this impersonal, you know, kissing aside. I'm in the mood for a drink, I said. Why don't you find some pants and I'll buy you a pint? Irish swore at the expanse of skin he wore, and then an unholy smirk settled on his face. Does it bother you? I openly assessed his body. If one has a work of art in front of them, one should appreciate it. If there was a vote, I said, for the eighth wonder of the world, I'd nominate you. But there isn't, and I'm thirsty. I headed for the door. Are you coming? The bar of his choice was barely a mile away. Irish had his hand on my back as he steered me to what had been his table. Back of the room in a corner so dark even the shadows had shadows. He sat facing the room, forcing me to either sit next to him or trust him to watch my back. He was still working toward forgiving me for the whole death thing, so I gave him my back. The waitress was way too perky for this time of night, and she came to the table with Irish's Guinness in hand. She handed me a menu, and I went with the drink of the night, a widow-maker. Sometimes, Karma was a cruel, twisted freak. Irish reclined against the booth like a king, regal and confident. You always had amazing eyes, with the, but with the dark hair, they're brilliant. Can't say as I care for the baggage under them. I narrowed said amazing eyes. Excuse me? You've lost weight. You're practically scrawny. I bet I can count your ribs. He reached across the table for my shirt, and I slapped his hand away. So, he said, I know you're married, you're a scarecrow, and you're dead. I presume you killed yourself to escape the bastard? His face contorted into an ugly mask. Did he hurt you? No, I said instantly. My husband is dead. We regret to inform you, and a tragic accident, and we all mourn his loss. I slapped my hands on the table. It was bullshit, Irish. Pure bullshit. He was killed, and it was too inconvenient for the police to believe his death was anything but a traffic accident. He leaned back and held court. Tell me. I did. I laid it all out. Every roadblock, every dead end, every stone unturned since I died. I'm so close, I said holding up my thumb and index finger an inch apart. I can feel it. If I can just get there. Then what, he asked. Well, then I'll nail the bastard. I clenched my hand into a fist, just waiting for a target. I know you will, he said, but my question was, what will you do after you nail the bastard? I'm focused on the here and now. This message, I said. You can't look to the next game until you win the one in front of you. <laughs> 
You always relied on your instincts, Diamond, and they've gotten you through because you've got good instincts. But you need a plan for what you're doing. I have a plan, Irish. Weren't you listening? Nail the bastard. It was a debate between us for years. Irish is a hothead, but he's a planner. Me, I prefer flying by the seat of my pants. I enjoy the ride. He shook his head like he always did when I won an argument. What do you need? First, I said, close the damn contract. I can't work with every Dewey Cheatham and How getting in my way. Second, I paused for dramatic effect. Pay up. I found me and delivered me. Payment due in full. <laughs> in the morning, he said, $100,000 for one night. He cocked his head and then shook it. I'm a fucking idiot for thinking it's a bargain. I'm not staying the night, arrogant bastard. Is it any wonder why we make a great team? I took a card from my pocket and conveniently prepared with my bank account. Here, I'll make it easy on you. He had one of his perplexing smiles on his face as he dialed, almost as though he were enjoying spending his money on me. He greeted someone in French, leaving the table with my card in hand. It was comfortable in the dark bar with Irish. I almost felt normal, an ordinary woman meeting a friend for a drink. My phone rang. I answered. The voice was male and likely called from some other ball. bar. Lori, that you? He slurred the yeses, stretched out the oohs. Sorry, buddy, wrong number. Yeah, well, how do you know? Ah, uh, the wit of a drunk logic. You're right, I'm sorry, I have the wrong number. Damn straight, he said, and he hung up on me. Dumbass. The waiter placed a platter on the table. Not you, I said, when he seemed to when she seemed put out. We didn't order this. Iris stepped in behind the waitress. I did. I'll see some meat back on those bones. He sat, going straight for the stomach ache waiting to happen. The banking is done. The time is mine. Maybe, I said. What are you doing in the States? His eyes sparkled with mischief. I'm on loan. <laughs> the last time you were on loan, a congressman, a defense contractor, and a tra trapeze performer all lost their jobs after a scandal. Lies! He pounded his fist, roaring with laughter. The years melted away in the wake of heavy food, good beer, and better stories. Age was creeping in, though, afflicting him with a version of Alzheimer's, causing him to misremember all the times I saved him from a lion, feline variety, a cougar, the human variety, and a jealous husband with an itchy trigger finger. Of course, my retelling of the lasagna incident, the banker's bisexual and enthusiastic wife, and an African coup were spot on. The lights came up and the waitress began mopping the floor. Somebody's trying to tell us something, I said, blinking my eyes to adjust. We walked out, arms around each other, both reluctant to part. It was an awkward kind of silence, broken by my phone. The screen glowed like a beacon in the starless night. I recognized the number. It was the dumbass again. I declined it, wishing I'd blocked his number. Do you think? Down, down! Before he got the second period out, Sam had me on the ground. Three blasts of gunfire proceeded that shattered the car window next to us. Tires squealed and we were both on our feet. My car, he shouted, running across the nearly empty lot. No, my car, I said, pressing the fob and flooding the space with light. Bloody hell, don't argue. I'm the better driver. I've always been the better driver. Get the fuck in. 
Okay, I did, but it was because his car was closer. He was not the better driver. Don't lose him, I ordered. Move, move! He peeled out, accelerating on the empty road like a dragster. Our target was a piece of shit two blocks ahead, driving on both sides of the road. As Irish calmly closed the distance, I felt around for the weapons he, he would have had stowed. I checked the loading on the handgun and then gave it to Irish. I kept the sod off. It matched my mood. This is your fault, you son of a bitch. In what world is this my fault, he said. Your stupid contract. He's getting on the highway. Don't lose him. Not going to lose him, mother. This is nothing to do with me. Bullshit, Irish. This is just the kind of crap I've had to put up with. I should shoot you on principle. The highways were empty by Baltimore standards and our dickhead was swerving around like he was playing a game of Mario Kart. I don't hire Bush League amateurs, he said. Do you really think I'd hire anyone who's going to do a drive-by and a Saturn Ion? He squinted to see the tail. Seriously? I didn't know those were still on the road. Well, there'll be one last after tonight, he said. The pedal went through the metal, hitting the proverbial ground. Cars honked as we passed them like they were standing still. I pressed a few buttons on his roof and eventually a sunroof opened. Hold her steady, I climbed on my seat. Not yet, I want them off the road. Me too, I said. The exit was coming up. It emptied into commercial industrial area with wide roads and few people. Perfect. Bracing myself, I went major time. The wind stung at 100 miles an hour. I aimed, fired, and the side view mirror exploded. The car fishtailed before regaining control and taking the exit. I slid into my seat and reloaded. Take the exit, I told him. You missed, Irish said with juvenile delight. I hit what I was aiming at. Take the exit. Christ, woman, stop with the backseat driving. He cut across the lanes and our quarry seconds ahead of us. The ramp arched smoothly to the right, depositing us on an empty one-way street. No one here but us rats. A warehouse screened our rat from sight when the road turned sharply. Irish slowed only enough to maintain control. Where is the fucker? His question was rhetorical, but where was the fucker? There! I braced myself as we put the brakes to the test. Out my window, headlights glowed on a gravel road next to railroad tracks. An engine revved twice and then gravel flew. Irish roared with challenge, whipping his seven-passenger reinforced suburban juggernaut onto a collision course. White lights flashed from the passenger side, bullets glancing off like gnats. He's pissing me off, Irish said. You see? I punched his shoulder. You see the bullshit you sowed? Get out there and get this asshole out of my way. Back through the sunroof. First shot, front grill. Second shot, windshield. The boxycar meant for runs to Taco 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 was no match for the heavy gravel railroad embankment. It tripped over the rails. It did the mechanical equivalent of a slow fall down the other side. It went man to man with the storage shed, and the storage shed won. Irish and I alighted. I've always wanted to use that word. With the hand, he had me holding position behind the front of the vehicle. He went to the back door and returned with enough firepower to face a zombie insurgency. I took a vest, a gun, and extra rounds. How do you want to play this, I asked him. He palmed his gun and stepped out. The usual way. Well, that's it for this episode of Mysteries to Die For. In two weeks, we'll pick up the story with the next chapter, Bad Cop, Batter Cop. If you enjoyed our twist on storytelling, 
help spread the word by telling a friend or leaving a review. For less than the cost of Irish's carb-loaded midnight snack, you can join our Body Bad Brigade to help support the show. You'll receive bonus content as our thanks. Mysteries to Die For was written by T.G. Wolf. Music and production are by Jack Wolf. Episode art is by Shannon Leahy. Widow's Run was written by T.G. Wolf, published by Down and Out Books. Until next time, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. <laughs>